Welcome to the True Neighbor Podcast. My name is Tom Breyer. My guest today is Aaron O'Brien, a physician who recently contracted COVID-19, which as we all know well now, is the illness caused by the novel coronavirus. Her story is important because it gives us perspective. Perspective on what the symptoms were like, perspective on the testing process, and more importantly, why she decided to get tested in the first place, and perspective on the extreme importance of social distancing. This episode also gives us an opportunity to prepare ourselves for the days ahead. As of the time of this recording on Monday, April 6th, 310,000 people in the United States have tested positive for COVID-19, and more than 9,100 have died, triple the amount of people who died on September 11th. Here in Pennsylvania, 11,500 have contracted the disease and 150 people have lost their lives to it. The real numbers, though, may be even higher. Healthcare experts say that official counts have failed to capture the true numbers of Americans dying in this pandemic. As the New York Times reported over the weekend, the undercount is a result of inconsistent protocols, limited resources, and an idiosyncratic patchwork of decision-making from one state or county to the next. It's also due to a lack of testing, which is absolutely vital for understanding how to defeat this virus. What distinguishes it from other viruses? What's the spectrum of the illness? And most importantly, what is its path through populations? In the early stages of an outbreak, tracing individual contact, requiring isolation, and mandating individual quarantines are tactics regularly deployed to contain the spread of a disease. But these tools are useless if suspected cases cannot be tested. In South Korea, for example, a test was developed just one week after the country's first reported case. Within two weeks, that test was commercially available at scale across the country. Meanwhile, here in the United States, our first recorded case occurred on February 5th, just a week after South Korea's first case. Three weeks later, and the CDC still had not issued working test kits to public health labs across the country. Nevertheless, on February 28th, President Trump told the American people that the coronavirus is, quote, going to disappear. One day, it's like a miracle, it will disappear. At that time, the United States had tested around 3,300 people. South Korea had tested more than 94,000 and was in the process of testing 10,000 people each day, including at drive through testing sites. In one 24-hour span from February 28th to February 29th, nearly 13,000 people were tested in South Korea, four times the number that the United States had tested over the previous month and a half. South Korea, due to their aggressive testing early on, avoided having to implement the sort of mandatory lockdowns that we've been forced to implement here in our country. Widespread testing 
would have allowed us to capture a better sense of how transmissible this virus is after initial contact. We know that the intense exposure of healthcare personnel in a hospital setting often leads to transmission. But what about the coworker who sat across the office from you and rarely interacted with you? How likely are you to contract the disease from that person? At this point, we don't know the answer and we can't reopen society until we do. The lack of testing early on was the original sin of this pandemic in the United States. The dearth of leadership at the national level catapulted the contagion's reach, causing disastrous social, political, and health consequences across the country. And while we will eventually get through this crisis, we must also realize that the worst is yet to come. In this episode, you'll hear from someone who had the disease, and you'll hear that she decided to get tested almost immediately after showing symptoms of COVID-19. More importantly, you'll hear what she did to avoid spreading the virus to others, a decision that we should all follow in the days, weeks, and months to come. Without further ado, I bring you our next true neighbor, Aaron O'Brien. All right, I'm here with Aaron O'Brien. Aaron, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Tom. Who would have thought that when we met a few months ago that we would be recording a podcast together about a pandemic <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> and what it was like to have it? <laughs> this is crazy times right now, for sure. No, that's it's um, each and every day feels almost more and more surreal, but I think the perspective that you offer is one that I think will give people peace of mind and, and a much needed perspective on this, especially with your background in medicine. It's a very unique combination that I think people really will appreciate hearing. But um, before we dive into it, could you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, where you're from, your family? Tell us a little bit about your, your life story. Oh, wow. Sure. Um... I'm uh, from the Washington, D.C. area, um, Prince George's County, Laurel, Maryland, um, is where I grew up. And um, I um, then uh, I, I went to Duke University undergrad for um, biomedical engineering and then went on to medical school at Hahnemann University, um, which is now Drexel University. Um, sadly, Hahnemann Hospital just got sold. <laughs> um, and, um, and then from there, I... Um, uh, pursued the specialty in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Thomas Jefferson University in, in Philadelphia. And after that, did a fellowship in pain medicine. So that is my um, specialty. Um, and now I live in um, Hershey, uh, Pennsylvania with my family, uh, my husband, Tim, who uh, is also a physician, and um, my two uh, children, uh, Maeve and Lincoln, who are um, both in high school at Hershey High. Yeah, Maeve has been a superstar intern pre on the Briar for Congress, well, pre-pandemic grassroots <laughs> campaign. She's a, she's a superstar. Um, yeah, she's very enthusiastic and, and hopeful uh, about the future, so as we all are. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think that youthful energy really has infused our campaign, and especially during a time like this, it's having that sense of hope is more important now than ever. Um, one of the things I find really just kind of fascinating during this entire time is my own 
psyche, like just thinking more deeply about how it wasn't even a month ago, we actually were just writing our monthly newsletter to send out for the campaign. And I look back to the debate that I had on March 1st, and that just feels like a different world. Uh, yes. And each and every day, I'm, I think I'm just more conscientious of, of how the world is changing, how my views have changed kind of in real time. Uh, what's it been like for you? Can you walk us through a little bit what your perspective on this pandemic is? I know it kind of dates back to, to early to mid-January, but how have you viewed this uh, from the beginning? Yeah, well, um, it's definitely, you know, uh, honestly, I, I think all of us can pretty much say, or most of us, that we've never lived through anything this significant uh, or I've never seen anything this significant in our lifetime. And we've been through many, you know, natural disasters and sort of terroristic disasters. But this one is kind of, uh, you know, globally affecting <laughs> the world and um, uh, not something I think many of us would have expected, anticipated even back in January when we first started hearing about it. Um, although it had been, you know, prevalent in other parts of the world. Um, mm. But this, I think... Um, just uh, gives us notion to kind of relook at our healthcare system and um, and and preparations for for disasters and things such as this. Um, you know, twenty twenty is certainly hind you know hindsight's twenty twenty. Certainly, uh, uh, knowing what we know now, wonder what could have been done differently. Of course, um, and and what we need to do moving forward to protect everybody. But I think it's it's. It's daunting because it's a certain. There's a lot of unknown, but there is some known as far as looking at scientific research and other uh, types of viruses as well. So, when did you first? So obviously now, um, you you tested positive for COVID nineteen, but um, when did you first start to feel sick? Was did it kind of uh, was there the impression right away that you thought, okay, this is different than something I've experienced before? Was it similar to what you had felt before? And at what point did you think to yourself, I think this might be the, the virus? Walk us through just a little bit of how that timeline went and what your state of mind was. Sure. I'm, I mean, I think, again, I'm looking at this, like I consider myself extremely fortunate and that I'm one of the um, many people who have, who, you know, had contracted the virus, but did not seem to exhibit severe symptoms. Um, um, in my case, I've definitely had uh, colds that were worse than what I experienced for this. Um, for me, basically, um, I had been um, in Philadelphia and in New York for a couple days. And then upon returning from there, um, it was kind of right before uh, we started realizing the coronavirus was more active here in the United States. Um, so when I returned from my trip, um, I'd say about maybe three days later, um, four days later, I started getting just a runny nose. Um, some muscle aches at night um, for two days, and then a cough. Um, and at this point, we didn't know about coronavirus. We did know about it. And so I kind of thought, okay, these sound like symptoms people are looking at. I didn't feel awful. Like I said, I've had worse uh, symptoms. I had a low-grade fever of 99. The cough, though, was, was different, and then I did have experience like kind of difficulty breathing. Like if I ran up the stairs, I would be short of breath, and a tightness in my chest that I'm I don't have a history of asthma or anything like that, but it kind of felt like, um, like maybe that, you know, which I thought was, that was unusual. Um, again, I, I didn't, didn't seem to slow me down as far as things that I was doing, but, um, 
that that coupled with my travel history made me suspect that um, you know perhaps I better get tested to make sure that I, I don't have it. And so what was that process like? How did you go about getting tested? So again, this was pretty early on um, uh, several weeks ago. Um, and actually, interestingly enough, I was watching one of your daily updates and okay. you had mentioned that uh, the Penn State Health had an on-demand app um, with a specific section for COVID-19. Um, and, and so I actually downloaded the app and clicked on the COVID-19 and, and that's where um, they virtually hooked you up with a nurse um, and you had a virtual kind of FaceTime uh, evaluation where they asked me a series of questions. And based on those questions uh, and your history, then they determined whether they should send you for a test. And I think it was the second day they opened up the drive-through testing at Penn State Hershey Hospital. Wow. Um, so I was, um, I guess, one of the earlier patients who, um, but they, who, who took uh, advantage of that situation. But um, they did deem that based on all of my symptoms and that I should get tested. Um, so I did indeed go through the drive-through where you don't get out of your car and they do the nasal swab and um, you know, then I returned home. Um, at this point, it had been a few days and I had been just at home with my family. Um, and we, my daughter then started exhibiting symptoms as well. So I, we basically just stayed on, um, assumed that the test would come back positive. I didn't know when I would get the results back, but we just assumed it would be positive and behaved as such until we get the results back. What was the, um, so if you do, you do the FaceTime through the on-demand app, was a uh, script basically given to you on the spot or did they come back later and say, we think you have symptoms of COVID-19? Yeah, no, so um, I was face-to-face -face with uh, a nurse and who asked a series of questions about my symptoms and then basically um, right away he said, okay, yes, I think we should get you tested. And then the way that it was set up, um, they printed out a script and I guess it electronically got sent to the tent directly. Mm. Um, and so within, um, basically like 10 minutes later, I live in Hershey, so I was pretty close to where the testing was being done. Um, 10 minutes later, I just drove to the tent and they had the information already. They had the script. So, um, uh, so you so went right away. Pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't want to wait. <laughs> I kind of wanted to know sooner than later. So, yeah. But it I, was um, pretty immediate. I had the flu in late February and I, that was my first experience with a nasal swab, which is oh. a very generous way of saying poking your brain. Uh, <laughs> it's not a comfortable test at all. That's for sure. Yeah. What do they do exactly? Um, you know, basically they, um, they take a long Q-tip looking swab. Um, if anybody's had a throat culture, it kind of looks like that for strep throat, but they um, insert it into your nose and it goes pretty far in. So, because they want to get the back of your nasopharynx. And so um, I have to say, I was kind of surprised. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, but, and then they leave it there for about 20 seconds. Mm. They kind of twist it and then take it out. So it, it's definitely, it's, 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 fairly quick, you know, 20 seconds of a test, but, and it is very uncomfortable. Um, so yeah. <laughs> How long, um, did it take to get the results back? So in my case, um, and again, I think, you know, and I had, I knew of some other people that got tested around the same time that I did. Um, it actually took 13 days to get the results back, which mm. they, because at that point they were sending it out to a, uh, a private laboratory. Um, I don't know if things are different now. This was really only the second day of testing that they had done, so I think they were still maybe working out the 
the logistics of it. But um, I, you know, in my mind that that was kind of a really long time to get the results back because, I mean, luckily I behaved as if it was positive because they kind of recommend 14 days of quarantine. And, right. you know, if it took almost 14 days to get the results back, you know, hopefully people wouldn't be careless and say, okay, I'm going to act like I don't have it, you know? Um, so I, I think, I think now hopefully the turnaround is much quicker. So people know sooner. What was that 13 day period like between the time you got tested and the time you got the results? I mean, could you talk a little bit about how you were feeling? Did you feel worse? I know you mentioned that your wow. family had exhibited some symptoms as well. What were those conversations like in your family? And just tell us a little bit about what the that 13 day window was like while you waited for the results. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, I was still feeling poorly, obviously the day that I got tested, um, I still had a cough and, you know, you, you hear of other reports of things turning south pretty quickly, um, symptom wise. And so, you know, you're kind of on alert for that to make sure that you're, you know, luckily for myself, um, a couple of days later, I was certainly feeling much better. Um, uh, I did develop, though, subsequently, the loss of smell and taste, which was, mm. I, I remember thinking, well, that's really strange. And I think just at that time, my daughter said, oh, you know, that's, that's one of the symptoms, they say, of coronavirus. Like, so I thought, oh, okay, well, again, that made me think, most likely, this is going to come out positive, this test, when I eventually get it back. So, um, but, you know, you're kind of, there is certainly anxiety that you're concerned that, could this get worse? Could I end up having to go to the hospital? You know, my old other concern too was, you know, did I give this to my family? Um, and because we had been uh, together in the house, um, at that point, I, I did not self-quarantine because my daughter already had symptoms herself. Luckily, they were mild as well. Again, I'm very fortunate. Um, and my son had mild symptoms. But um, so we all basically acted as if we were positive, you know, and didn't leave the house like, you know, didn't luckily we had enough groceries to last us <laughs> um but we didn't um didn't go anywhere and actually my husband was supposed to be on vacation that week anyhow um so he was working from home and continued to do so for the remainder of um the quarantine period um so we just basically you know and i think during that period of time governor wolf had also uh started implementing the you know everybody staying at home anyhow so i don't i don't believe our life was that much different than other people's in that respect um, but just monitoring for symptoms and hoping to get better do they give you any advice as to what you can do to mitigate the symptoms like is there any type of uh medicine or like just advice that they give you afterwards or is this just kind of ride it out until it gets better yeah i mean certainly they recommended drinking plenty of fluids and and if you were to develop um, fever, you know, take Tylenol, kind of symptomatic relief, basically. Um, and then with the the uh, recommendation that if, you know, if you developed increase in shortness of breath or more, more difficulties breathing uh, to then um, either, you know, call your primary care physician or or go to the emergency room if you felt that, you know, you were becoming, you know, developing respiratory distress, obviously. Um, that was pretty much... Uh, you know, most of the recommendation there. What's been your biggest takeaway from this experience? Has it changed your perspective at all? Have you kind of uh, reflected on things as a result of this experience that you might not have otherwise? I mean, it's pretty surreal to say that you had a virus that is now the cause of a 
global pandemic. Obviously, you said at the beginning that you're very lucky insofar as the symptoms weren't too severe. You're okay now. Your family's okay. But it's still pretty daunting, I'd imagine. Has there been a takeaway just in terms of uh, what you've learned from this whole this whole thing? Um, you know, I think mostly gratitude, really. I mean, I'm really grateful that um, myself, my daughter, you know, my family um, did not get as sick as, as what you know, some people can, you know, and I, I know they're saying overall, it's hard to, to look at the numbers. Um, because, you know, not everybody's getting tested. And it's really hard to kind of figure it out. But you know, I, I know they say the majority of people it will be kind of flu like symptoms, and they will not end up going to the hospital. Um, but you know, it's hard when you look at the media, you know, you look at the news, and you see the reports of young people, presumably healthy people, you know, ending up on ventilators, and mm. it's definitely daunting. And so when you see that, you know, I definitely have a, a great amount of gratitude and, 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 you know, that we did get through this part. Um, but now also wondering what, what now, you know, now that we're through it, like, you know, I do understand that there's plasma donation programs, um, research programs going on in various hospitals around the country for people who have had the um, virus and then recuperated from it and possibly have antibodies in their blood so that then they can donate plasma to um, help more acute patients in the hospital. So um, I'm kind of looking into that right now. I'm on the registry for that so that, you know, hopefully uh, getting through this can help somebody else, I would hope. Are you aware of any um, opportunities like that in Central PA? Have you found any in the mid-state? Um, so I've been looking for, I know for a fact, Mount Sinai in New York City um, in conjunction, I believe, with Michigan. I don't know if it's Michigan University, um, but they... Mount Sinai has already started implementing uh, the collection of plasma. Um, and then there is, I think the American Red Cross has, if you go online, there's a registration site. So I've registered for both places. Um, and the one that's for the American Red Cross, I think they they will try to find, they will say they will try to find someone, a hospital that's closer to your location where mm. you live. Um, I'm still waiting to hear back on that. I, it's still in the early phases, I guess. So I'm not, I don't know uh, specifically of a specific hospital that's actually doing that here in central Pennsylvania, but I'm still looking into it. And um, I, like I said, I signed up for that registry and the Mount Sinai registry, um, and I'm just waiting to hear back, um, hopefully this week. Okay. Yeah, that's definitely something to keep an eye on because like you said, um, getting through the disease and building those antibodies could be uh, really, really beneficial for fighting it in the first place. Um, on a little bit of a lighter note to, to end, obviously now we're going to be home for the foreseeable future. Uh, any good recommendations for a good book, a TV show, a movie, or, or a hobby? What is, uh, have you, are you now a talented musician after this past month? Or? <laughs> well, what? um, actually I, I, I do play this, the saxophone, the tenor saxophone and, um, my, um, you know, my, my children play instruments as well. Um, my son plays trumpet. My daughter plays uh, piano. And now has just started picking up the ukulele since she's been home from school. So and my husband is a drummer. So we've actually, um, it's actually been nice having the four of us home. And we've actually been able to, um, to, we've always said we should, you know, put together a band and we should play more. So we've been actually playing our instruments a lot more. And it's, that's been definitely enjoyable. And, um, uh, you know, so definitely we've been, 
now there's no excuse to not have time to practice and, and play. That's so is, cool. Can, can we get a live stream going? Can we have like an O'Brien family <laughs> concert every night? <laughs> that would be fun. I, you know, we would, I'd be down for that for sure. Um, so yeah, that's, that's been something that's kind of kept us uh, going. And, um, you know, as for, as for books, I, I did just finish, uh, Ta-Nehisi, uh, Coates, the water dancer, which I highly mm. recommend. And, um, and Year of the Monkey by Patti Smith. Um, I, don't, I, I like her poetry and prose um, and her stories, but those are just two things I had just finished recently. Yeah, no, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, he was on, on my list as well, so that's a... Uh, yeah, that's a, it's a great book. And the other thing too, um, I have a lot of friends that are musicians and unfortunately now they're, they're um, not able to go out on tour, they're not able to... Uh, to perform uh, a lot of concerts were canceled and so a lot of them and maybe a lot of your favorite musicians are doing um at home concerts from their couches and um and some of them do have uh, accounts where you can give you know give tips if you like you know but that has certainly been uh, something that we tune into in the evenings as uh you know people just musicians kind of um, yeah i saw um dave matthews uh i know that probably fits yes. the the Hershey stereotype of being a Dave Matthews fan, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he did a, a stay-at-home concert that was pretty cool, and I've seen some other ones popping up around. So uh, that's kind of the cool thing about this. You know, obviously we have to look for silver linings in a time like this, and just seeing um, whether it's through art or music or culture or uh, sports, you know, seeing different ways that we can still kind of maintain those connections to the things that we love, and music is just another way to be able to do that. And so, um, I will volunteer to be the can't be manager for the O'Brien. Uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I have some really good ideas already. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. I look forward to it. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, well, thanks Aaron. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. I'm glad you're feeling better and we'll be thinking about you. Thanks for, for uh, sharing your story with us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me.